0: to um, <laughs> okay, that's not how you make that noise
1: <laughs> make it yourself stupid <laughs> but I'm, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm... <laughs>
0: you, didn't make, you didn't make the symbol sound. sounds
1: like the daughter of a drummer's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> do you even know what a symbol is <laughs> but I'm <laughs> how about that <laughs> not psh. <laughs> but then <psh. laughs> <laughs> <Close enough. laughs> oh god okay pink 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 oh my god so i don't know i didn't get any this is a side note for smith but like it's a really big deal that russia beats spain and people are freaking out
0: yeah yeah this is the meat of the podcast <laughs> <laughs> like, have you ever have you ever caught your
1: have
0: you ever caught your profile reflection <laughs> in the mirror? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> like <a> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is going to be a Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, this shit feels like I won't ever make it home? Traffic's back up. I got to get off of this road.
1: From Saint Petersburg and Brooklyn. This is She's in Russia. I'm Lily, and I'm Smith.
0: So what is what's today's Sunday afternoon episode? Afternoon. <laughs> Sunday afternoon. Delight. Afternoon.
1: This deep night story. <laughs> I, I have a story for you this time. You tell me a story, I tell you a story, you know? You scratch me back, I scratch yours. <laughs> I really got a good back scratcher for you because um, this time we get to travel far and wide into the world of outside Russia. See what your Patreon dollies are doing already? Yeah, seriously?
0: Sending Lily on vacation to Budapest.
1: Yeah, so we're going to hear. I know post soviets very controversial, I learned that. And actually, I've been asking people about that. But um, we're going to talk about Hungary, Hungary, today.
2: First name is okay, Zolt. My name is Jolt.
1: That was Jolt.
2: It's not only the, uh, the, the microphone and uh, the language, it's also the sensitive topic.
1: Jolt is the main character of our story today. Before we hear more from Jolt, I would like to introduce the setting of the story, which is Hungary, and the topic of today's episode, which is 20th, late 20th to 21st century Hungary-Russian relations. So first of all, I think that I'm just going to give a brief geographical lesson. Geographical, Jesus Christ! For those of you who don't know where Hungary is or what it is, it is a country in Central Europe, and it's for those Americans out there. Not now. <laughs> I know we don't have many Americans <laughs> on the show. Um, Hungary is a country in Central Europe. It's bordered by a lot of countries, but like Slovakia, Austria, Romania, Croatia. You get it. Serbia. I'm actually looking at a map as we speak. It's right in the middle. Very central. Also, uh, Ukraine. Don't forget. Really, a lot of things touch it. It's actually quite astounding. Everyone like gets their little arm in there somehow. They're like, I touch <laughs> you too um anyway so it 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 has like a kind of it's like one of those countries that these borders have changed a lot in the 20th century and actually before that as well and it was like it was part of the austro-hungarian empire as you might imagine also before that part of the ottoman empire and then it like got itself established as it sort of as the borders it is now in 1920 so not that long ago and in doing that like lost as wikipedia says almost 70 percent of its land so it used to be a you know as part of an empire it was like a bigger land coverage thing also little so this is a history lesson about hungary real quick little did you know probably the hungary fought with the axis powers that that would be the nazis um during world war ii <laughs> it's fucked up <laughs> isn't that fucked up
0: not with the Allies? Nah. <laughs>
1: um, the Axis, the Axis of Evil. The
0: original Axis of Evil. evil. So
1: that sucks just for like collective memory. <laughs> which is not a thing. <laughs> which is which is arguably not a thing. Yeah, fought with the Nazis in World War II. And um, after the war, Hungary became a Soviet satellite state. So, from nineteen forty nine to nineteen eighty nine, Hungary was like a socialist state, like the People's Republic of of, of Hungary. But it wasn't a satellite state; a little bit different from being like an uh, SSSR. So, it was under the influence of the Soviet Union. Understand? hmm. What's another What's another example of a satellite state? So the Soviet Union controlled six countries that became known as the Eastern Bloc, Czechoslovakia, East Germany, Hungary, Poland, and Romania. So Poland is another example of a satellite state. So it's like under the influence, and it, that's not like a loose term. There's also military presence, Soviet military, mm-hmm. not just ideological influence, but we will get more into that. The last part of our history lesson is just one more date that is important, which is 1956. The 1956 Hungarian Revolution it's a, like a revolution against Soviet occupation, and it began as a peaceful protest that ended up turning violent because of Soviet police and eventually military actions, like they t- made it violent. Um, okay. I mean, again, whatever. I don't know that much about it. I'm not going into that much detail. But it is a very important point in Soviet history and it took place over the course of a couple of weeks, which then ended in this like tank invasion in which Wikipedia tells me 20,000 people were killed. Yikes. Or, or in total 20,000 people were killed, but most of them during that like military part. Because Khrushchev was just like all these power, power shifts were happening and there was basically like different government taking place in, in those two weeks. And he was just like not having any of that sent tanks. You know, there's also like the Prague Spring, right? Like there's been other times that the Soviet Union has done that kind of thing, suppressing rebellion in its, in its like satellite countries. Anyway, so we will hear more about the 1956 revolution also later. And one more fact today, Hungary has a population of only 10 million about and about 2 million in Budapest, which is the capital. okay So I, as you may have gathered, was recently in Hungary, as you know, in Budapest and visiting my one of my dearest friends, Liz, who is also a devoted sir listener. Thanks, Liz. <laughs> as well as a key. Thanks Liz. It's Liz. Um, a, key, a key character in today's episode. Liz is Joltz. English teacher. And Jolt, who would prefer to remain mostly anonymous, works in the local Budapest government. And that's all you need to know about him. So one fine morning, well, in Budapest, we were, we sat down to speak with Jolt. And we talked to him about what it was like growing up in, as he calls it, Russia occupied Budapest, and what he thinks of Russia as a political force in Hungary. So one of the first things he told us about was how Hungary's status under Soviet influence, as it's called, and then its subsequent break away from this sphere of influence at the end of the, like, when the Soviet Union fell, this status manifested itself in language.
2: So I was born in in 1974. Uh, That time in the elementary school, Russian was compulsory, so I had for like four years in the elementary school, Russian, so we n- learned the basics. Uh, I vaguely still remember some words, but because of the so-called War Revolution, or how we call here in here Hungarians, we call it system change in Hungary, when I went to the high school, they just canceled our Russian classes or we had the, the Russian classes because that time, in our, for example, in our high school, there were no other teachers to teach any other foreign languages. So we still had Russian classes, but we didn't learn anything because it wasn't cool. <laughs> that time, it, it wasn't cool at all. For example, our Russian teacher didn't speak any other foreign languages, so she didn't teach us Russian. We played so uh, during the class, that's what happened. It was four years. We had uh, Russian classes like at least two times a week, but wow. we didn't do anything. On Mondays from 9 to 10, then we knew that we would be free from yeah. 9 to 10. We couldn't go to, to the playground to play football, so we had to sit in the classroom, but otherwise we didn't do anything which is not very good, so now I, I, I kind of regret it. we wasted four years, yeah. we could have done something at least, but we didn't, yeah. because that was in the air, that it was not cool at all to, to learn Russian, that's why we didn't.
1: I was reacting a lot to that story because it really reminds me of our, of our ongoing soviet slash post-soviet absence theory yeah i kept asking him to clarify i was like what like why four years like why didn't they cancel the class why didn't they why didn't you have free time why didn't you go why didn't they have recess then you know like why didn't you have a totally different subject it just seems insane to me that like the machine just kept like chugging along. Like, yeah. yeah uh-huh. this is russian class yeah also did you notice the term system change yeah, which is also really like, yeah, like clinical way to talk about the fall of the Soviet Union and also I hadn't heard that term before but that's apparently what Hungarians call the fall of the Soviet Union. Yeah. Okay, so other than learning Russian in school which is like the language example of how Russian influence manifested and then didn't manifest in this really like bureaucratic weird way jolt also told us about how as a kid like before the fall of the soviet union before the system change his main awareness of the presence of russia quote-unquote like the concept of russia was an awareness of the russian military in budapest
2: I grew up in in Budapest, uh, actually not far from a, a military a Russian military base now turned into a, a housing project. We always biked around the, the military base, so we all know that it's a military base and it is and it is a Russian military base. We were always afraid a little bit of that, but we didn't really have any experience with the Russians or Russian soldiers but I don't know probably the families told us to keep our distance which we didn't <laughs> um, but um, but we was we were always a little bit afraid of them I was in the elementary school and it was the high, high school and it was still the time of the so-called communism during the the 80s here, so we didn't really talk about it openly, not even at home, because of course my parents would think that if we would have talked about the politics and anti-Russian sentiment or anything, that probably it would have meant something wrong for me. I mean, in the school, yeah. so. Of course, the 80s wasn't that wrong, but still people were a little bit afraid of that thing. So we never, in the elementary school, we never really talked about it it openly. But it was, again, something very obvious that there are Russian soldiers in Hungary and people weren't very comfortable with that.
1: Okay, so... You get you're getting the like general message probably pretty loud and clear, which is that like Russia bad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, Joel describes that from like his childhood memory of this like base that they play around or near, but it's like forbidden and all like this mysterious sort of like presence. Vorboten. What? Vorboten. What? Vorboten. What are you saying? It, It means forbidden
0: in German. Vorboten. Oh my God. Why are you speaking German just because they're an access power? <laughs> just speak it in a language they could
1: understand. Collective memory never forgets. <laughs> <laughs> never forgive, never forget Hungary. We know whose side you are on. Okay. So as it turns out when the system change took place, one of the not surprisingly, one of the first political platforms of the new Hungarian, you know, like democratic, wave of politicians, was to kick the Russian military out, get rid of the occupation. Wait, what year was this? Like, it was this in 89? Yeah, as soon as, like, 89 right away. So 89, even maybe, like, before that, people were starting to make moves politically, but, like, in the early 90s, and 89 to early 90s. And one of the fresh faces on the political scene in the late 80s and early 90s was none other than Hungary's current prime minister... Viktor Orban, or oh, no. as he's known in uh, Hungarian, Orban Viktor, because they say the names <laughs> backwards, <laughs> which I really like. They're like Orban Viktor. I mean, that's how they say it. They're is like, he like, is he a little bit authoritarian? Yeah. So I'm going to tell you about Orban right now. Okay. Orban. Anybody who's been in power for that long as suspect? Well, he hasn't been in power for that long, so he just was getting into the... He was one of the fresh faces on the political scene, as I said, but um, I explain right now. So a little bit about Orban. First of all, he's not that old, born in 1963, and so he was really fresh. Spring chicken. Yeah, and and, um, I believe he was, like, when he first became prime minister, he was, like, the youngest prime minister ever of Hungary or something. (laughs) The first and youngest. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Confusing. So... After beginning his political career in the late 80s as one of the founding members of the Fidesz, I think it's pronounced, party, which is an acronym that translates as the Alliance of Young Democrats, and is still his party, he has served as the Prime Minister of Hungary twice since then. He served from 1998 to 2002, and I think that's when he was like pretty young, record young, 98 to 2002, and then he was a member of the opposition all the way up until... I'm not sure. I think, like, he's always on the sort of more... He was always on the more, like, liberal democratic side versus the socialist side because that's definitely his early platforms stance. So 1998-2002 is the first prime minister run. And then in 2010, after being in the opposition until then, for eight years, in 2010, he gets re-elected as a prime minister and has been the prime minister since then. So for the past eight years. Okay. So like you asked if he's authoritarian well we're gonna get into a little bit more like what he his political stance is but he's definitely sort of like he's he's playing some kind of middle middle line i mean he he has like uh like hungary is part of the eu right now but the sort of issue that hungary is wait foley like they have
0: they use the euro and everything
1: they're fully in the EU, but they do not use the euro. But You can use the euro, I think, in some touristy places. But they use their um, local currency. But that's not, like, the only thing <laughs> in the EU. They're in the EU. EU. Yeah. And and they get money from the EU. I mean, like, the whole... The EU is a whole, like, club system. You, you get it's money, you do what we say. Like, you follow... But, okay, so, like, some big things that people criti- criticize Orban for are things that I'm going to mention that are, like sort of related to Russia in a way that I will explain but then also like immigration is the big a big one like really hardcore anti immigration so anti refugee anti immigration from any location or like specifically certain regions i mean i think that i think that the most harsh thing has been like the syrian refugee crisis recently but back in the early 90s victor orban orban victor was as Jol put it, unfortunately, not while well being recorded. He was just a young buck.
0: Can you tell us, yeah, about anti-Russia sentiment in Hungary in like the early years of the 90s and how that was kind of used or played into Hungarian politics at that time?
2: Yeah, um, but it is, so as, as I told you, the 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 Russian soldiers were here, which meant the Russian influence obviously was pretty strong in, in, in uh, or the Soviet, let's say that, uh, influence was was very strong in Hungary, but the, the end of the 80s when there were political movements and they weren't accepted officially, but everybody knows that they weren't punished anymore uh, that harshly, so it was a, a very Strange process, and mm-hmm. so you never, you never really know where you were in the course of this process, but obviously I think almost everybody remembers that there was a interesting moment during this course when was Nadim. He was he was the prime minister during the 1956 revolution in Hungary, which was beaten by the Russians. It was against the Soviet rule, and Nagy was the prime minister in that time. And the, he was taken to Russia and he was killed. And it it was his his burial, I guess. It was in 1989, I guess, if I remember correctly. And on on this burial, Orban Viktor. Back then, he wasn't a very well-known politician. He was just a young guy, and he is now our current prime minister, acting prime minister for like eight years now, and it's already his fourth term. But back then, he was just a young guy. He wasn't known, but he was the, the first one who said it very clearly uh, in, a, in a public event that the Russian must have to go back to their country, leave us our country, and go back home to, to Russia. And it was, a, it was a huge thing to say. If I remember correctly, that is a, a huge relief that it was actually said in public. Everybody thinks that it's really started the whole process when they actually, I mean, the, the Soviet soldiers actually left the country
1: so yeah and actually after hearing him talk about like the politics of expelling the military i I did ask him if that had applied also to like i said ethnic russians but i also meant like russian nationals but according to jolt he that that wasn't really part of this like push it was really more about the military occupation but as he said before like everything russian was like not good so you probably didn't want to be russian (laughs) and be there i can imagine at that time in the early 90s are we going to talk about now or no yeah you are really good at guessing (laughs) How things work. So, yeah, so back then, uh, Orban was, like, running on this anti-Russian platform, or actually anti-Soviet, but the lines are very blurred, and things have changed since then. Now, Orban and Russian President Vladimir Putin are generally on good terms, and for some people, like, jolt on actually too good of terms. This relationship between Orban and putin reflects a kind of general shift in sentiment towards russia at least in high politics or you could say that it's like orban's sentiment is shifting and it's shifting other things like that it's yeah slightly counterintuitive because on the one hand you have you have hungary's pro-eu pro-western pro-democratic stance that like is imagined and like situated as an anti-russian stance always and kind of is part of its birth as like a post-soviet nation on the other hand you have this same person who actually like was there like running on that kind of a platform now sort of like according to many people coming back into the sphere of influence of russia which is being very much blurred with the soviet union pink, <laughs> pink. <laughs> sentence done <laughs> sentence said
0: mentioning something about the protests and the relationship between, like, these pro-EU, like, we need democracy yeah. protests and anti-Russia yeah. Yeah. sentiment. Um,
2: so, so because of that, it was really strange when the government, especially Orbán Viktor, relationship with Russia and Putin has changed. And it it didn't happen then overnight, of course. But it obviously happened that his relationships... Toward Russia and Putin's uh, Russia has changed. I realized that because the ruling party and Orban Viktor's followers has a huge tendency to follow his steps. So the mood toward the, the Russians has changed recently. When it comes to the products of, from Russia, everybody has the same, same sentiments. So nobody really wants to buy something which is Russian, because it means it's bad. But politically, it has changed a little bit. Back then, almost everybody hate, hate Russia, because Russia was... I mean, politically, it was something really bad. Even when Putin came... First the power, the Hungarians were. I guess they were very hostile against the politically uh, against Russia. Now uh, this mood has. So it, it it's it, I really experienced that it has changed. So I even sometimes I overhear conversation when people think, oh, Putin, Putin makes it very good. He's a strong leader. Something like that. So his his image has changed because of the Hungarian government, especially Orbán. Victors' sentiments toward Putin has changed, and uh, I guess the majority. I'm not sure it is the majority. It follows to, uh, him in this, but it means only politically. And it's. Yeah. It, I know it's for for a lot of people. It's. I know personally a lot of people. They were originally fans of Orbán Victor and I know it was a really uh, hard thing to chew for them. The whole system change was about against Russia, against uh, this kind of politics, and they cannot, a lot of people cannot really accept this. these changes.
0: I just want, wondering if you could explain a little bit how you see like why this mood has changed, why has Orbán Victor Become more like sympathetic with Russia.
2: Yeah, that's that's that's. I, I'm I'm not sure that I, I really know the whole the, the reasons, and I'm I'm yeah. not sure. Um, my. Mm-hmm. As I see, uh, he wanted to play an important role in the European uh, politics. He still wants to play an mm-hmm. important, and he realized that that it's an opportunity to be a middleman between Russia and European Union. And then uh, that's an optimistic version of uh, <laughs> what I think. I hope that that's the the, the main reason. Mm-hmm. There is another. Sinister. Sinister. sinister, more sinister reason can be that probably Russia wants to influence Europe. Putin wants to uh, weaken uh, the European Union, and he can do it through Orbán, through Hungary. So it's it's easier for him to to make problems from the inside. So that's why he you needs know, a friend who's inside. Uh, the European Union. That's that's a more sinister uh, potential, reason. potential reason. Yeah.
1: Okay. So you get it. Like, you got a couple of theories. And arguably, the main kind of fear or critique of this relatively new shifting towards Russia, as it's perceived, is this concept of mirror mirror politics, which just means like Hungary mirroring Russia politically, or like. As Joel puts it, like Orban following Putin, or doing some taking, like making some kind of similar policy. I think it can also be similar policies. Like it's a mirror, so it can be like not clear who started it, kind of thing. But (laughs) am I the real person, or is the reflection (laughs) the real person? Who is the real Russia? Is the question. (laughs) And I have a specific example of that. So the specific example would be like the situation of the Central European University in Budapest and the sort of like parallel situation in Russia is the European University in St. Petersburg. Funnily enough, they're both called the European University. Would you like to hear about the CEU's situation? Yeah. Okay. So the CEU, the Central European University, has been in Budapest since 1993 and it's currently in a bit of a like legal limbo state, to steal the term from an article I read. Because in 2017, basically, the Hungarian government made a new law that was very much like according to many critics aimed at ceu which was that foreign institutions educational institutions that operate in hungary have to open campuses in the country that they're registered in so the ceu is based in hungary but it's registered it's accredited in the u.s it's registered in the u.s okay um and they don't have a campus there and so this just happened recently and like after the legislation passed there were a bunch of demonstrations and protests Again, what so a lot of people saw it as like a law trying to shut down the CEU. But CEU, like as of very recently, June 26, has stated that they are now compliant with Hungary's new law because they have essentially like authorization from the state of New York for operating as like a U.S. university via Bard College, which as a side note, really has its hands in like the post-Soviet space. As they say, it's like Bard is like the Bard Smolny program also trying to get the liberal arts into Russia.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah.
1: I don't. So it's like, why, why do they go to, you know, like why Bard of all places? Maybe it's because of that, but Bard has helped them. But then there's this other part of this law that makes it more difficult. You don't just comply. Once you comply, the government has to sign a bilateral agreement. That's like, you know, accepting that you comply or something. Okay. The, the hitch The hitch of the story right now that's unfolding is that the Hungarian government is not signing that order. So that's why it's kind of in a limbo state, because the Hungarian government hasn't refused to sign it. They just haven't signed it. And the university, it's obviously not good for them to be in such an uncertain position of like not knowing if they're going to be able to stay or not. And they need to like make decisions that affect them, you know, a year from now, for example, letting in students. And a lot of people think that the Hungarian government is not signing this bilateral agreement because if they don't sign it, the CEU will leave themselves for the sake of certainty. And then the Hungarian government can say, well, we didn't force them out. You know, like we didn't like expel them. They just left (laughs) like that. So you get it, yeah? Yeah, I get it. Okay, so that's the CEU situation. And why is it like a mere situation? Like there are a lot of sort of similarities with the situation of the European university, which for our listeners, you should go and listen to our specific episode on the European university with Molly Zuckerman to get the details of like what happened there. But as you remember the EU lost its teaching license, but for like a variety of like really basically not meeting some kind of standards from the education, you know, like watchdog organization that they just like decided to inspect. And and there were like actually a bunch of other weird things. Like remember that story? like fire codes and just a bunch of like weird rules that like the university suddenly wasn't following and then like lost its teaching license and it, it doesn't have a teaching license right now it's a research institution so that's that's like an example another a really quick example i'm not going to get into because i don't know about it is that just in passing heard that hungary is also instituting their own like foreign agents laws around ngos and Remember, we talked about that with Russian foreign agents. Did we talk about that on that same episode with Molly? No. Oh, she alluded to it, but we did a whole episode on tit for tat. Oh, about on tit for agents. tat. Tit for tat, yeah, on foreign agents. So, tit for tat is an episode I forget about. Yeah, and it's a good one, actually, I think, for like the right, for like US Russian relations. Yeah. But in any case, this like fear or observation or critique, the whole general sentiment of moving away from democracy and openness is by nature a move towards Russia. All of that fear and all of that, that sentiment can be summarized in one lovely slogan that I did not make up, which is, we are not Russia. Yeah. <laughs> and that slogan is, was and will probably continue to be chanted at protests in support of CEU. Oh, well, is that where it originated? Is that those protests or it came up before? I don't know. I don't know, like, historically, but it originated in also probably is used in in general, like, potentially anti-Orban protests, too. But I don't want to I don't actually I'm not sure about that. Like, I was thinking, like, in these protests, there's probably also people who are like pro-immigration and like pro also maybe like generally pro-eu but not necessarily you know there's like people with eu flags that kind of thing mm. but not everyone there is pro-eu but it's like it's that general sentiment it's like we are not russia can can you just speak a little bit more concretely about the phrase we are not russia
2: yeah people um a lot of people have um bad feelings about that Orman wants to copy putin that's clear. Obviously, there are signs that even he claimed that he admires Putin. And, and, of course, he implemented a lot of things in the Hungarian politics, which already introduced by Putin in Russia. When, when it happened in, the Ru- in Russia, that it made the news here in Hungary, and everybody thought, oh, no, that's, that's crazy, that's not de- democracy at all. And then you experience the same thing here in Hungary, then you are afraid that he's really following him yeah. in his, in his path, and it can be very frightening for a lot of people who believe in democracy, of course. For us, the, the Putin's regime is not a model for a modern democracy, it's, it's more like a model for a modern autocracy. There is a difference, at least for me, yeah. between the two type of political systems.
1: Okay, so by now we've heard this like Russia and Soviet Union conflation reference as being like basically synonymous quite a bit. And that was something that was sort of troubling me from the beginning of the conversation. So at some point I just decided to clarify it for myself. I have a question that maybe is obvious, but to me not obvious, um, (laughs) which is that when people are talking about, like, Russian products, so we can use that as an example, or just in general, like, sentiment to Russia, uh, like, from the system change, so the end of the Soviet Union, to now, are they, like, are people generally completely connecting Russia of the Soviet Union to Russia, contemporary Russian Federation? Like when, because the Soviet Union, right, was like its own country. So if we take products, like its own country, if we take products, is it that Soviet made is bad, but Soviet made equals Russian made? Or is it just post-Soviet Russian products are bad?
2: Yeah, I, I guess I know, but we don't really make any difference for even for me yeah i can make i know the the baltic countries is a different story ukraine ukraine is a different country but for example between belarus and russia i so the difference is not huge for me and uh, probably i'm wrong the current contemporary russian politics in in many ways is very similar to the soviet uh, politics so people often things Russia how we thought about Soviet politics
1: so so we've seen this like shift towards and away from Russia in language the way it was taught and not taught and then in like the military presence but there was another manifestation that Jolt talked about and referenced quite a bit the relationship the like Hungarian relationship to anything that is made in Russia
2: yeah it's and it's it's really strange for everybody, because the whole democratic process in Hungary, for a lot of people, for myself too, uh, is defined by this movement, which was really against the Soviet and Russian Empire, against the Russian occupation. So, And this sentiment was really strong, I guess, even now for us, for example, let's say, if there was a lot of Russian products, for example, during the, the communist era, mm-hmm. it was a, a common joke because they, they never worked. They, they broke <laughs> very easily, instantly, so it was also a synonym of uh, something is Russian, means it's, it's not good at all, it, it doesn't work. Yeah. It remained with us, so for example, if the subway Broke? Then of course it's Russian. So why why it didn't broke? So yeah, why wouldn't it broke? Because yeah, Russian. Yeah, and yeah. So and it's, 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 the same sentiments remains. For example, you know they they making this power plant in Paks. I mean the Russian government uh, uh, building the next.
0: Wait,
2: where? Paks. In Hungary. In Hungary. Yeah. And everybody is afraid of that, oh, oh my God, the Russians, it will broke. And it's it's very dangerous because everything is broke, which is Russian. That's the wow. common knowledge in Hungary, or at least in my circles. So I guess it is. So
1: It's funny just because a side comment on the products thing in Russia, like people nostalgize express nostalgia about products that were made in the soviet union because the so soviet made products are like good like the vacuum cleaner is still at, at one of the markets you can get a vacuum cleaner that was made in the soviet union that like still works and it's beautiful and like really i personally speaking from my experience it's really yeah. beautiful no i didn't buy it but i was like I love this, and the guy was like, "Still works."
2: The vacuum cleaner is—it was good. Yeah, I remember <laughs> the rocket thing. I, I yeah. remember that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But the washing machine wasn't so. Okay.
0: <laughs> he really buys into the anti-Russian sentiment.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's what maybe. I mean, that's what I'm trying to say. This is this is the same person. Just to give you an idea of like what color his color, like his, his leaning. His. <laughs> his leaning is is definitely like. I mean, it's clearly anti-Russian, but, like, it comes from... Anti, Anti-Russian anti to, like,
0: non to the point of non-reality.
1: Yeah, like, it comes, it's, I mean, I think he's also sort of saying that. It doesn't really come from, like, not based in much. It's, like, based in this concept that, like, Russia is more authoritarian. But, like, he warned Liz when she came to visit me to be careful because Russia is dangerous. Like, this idea of Russia being this, like what i don't know this like scary place where like the government is gonna like attack you and kill you or like there's cry it's unclear to me exactly what the nature of his fears are but i think they're unclear to him you know i think they're not formed yeah but that's like a product of this sentiment that he's been describing since childhood so i think that's like interesting in in its own you know it has a right to be of course That's the episode. Lily, did you want to thank anybody? Yes, I do. A very, very special, large thank you to Jolt for sharing his time and thoughts and opinions with us, all against his better judgment, and also to dear Liz for for participation in this episode and for making the conversation possible yes thank you to everybody remember we have a patreon
0: now so if you like the show and you want to support us in doing cool stuff then head on over to patreon.com slash in russia you can pledge at any amount you want and we have predefined tiers at four dollars six dollars nine dollars and 25 dollars and you'll get cool shit at every tier as always, follow us at She's in Russia on Telegram and Twitter. Sign up for our monthly image-based newsletter at she'sinrussia.com. If you have a question about Russia, give us a call at plus one three four seven two nine two seven one two six, or you can hit us up at She's in Russia on Skype. We're not going to pick up the phone; it'll just be a recording, and then we might play it on the show. And I think that's all. And we'll see you next week. Wow, that was really speedy, Minnie.
1: Did you know that his name is pronounced Shorosh?
0: That's confusing because it's not even a real name, I think.
1: What? I look it up.
0: Yeah, his his real name is Georg Georgi Schwartz. No fucking way, Schwartz. Yeah.